Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello, good friends. Good to see you on this Friday morning, December 15, about 8.30 in the morning in our nation's capital. And again, time to look back on the news of the week, the last work week of the year for Congress with three of our top political reporters. And this week was another one packed with big news. President Zelensky came to Washington with his handout for some more funding for the war in Ukraine and left town with his hands still empty. House Republicans voted to open an impeachment inquiry on President Biden, even though they admit they don't know yet what they might impeach him for. And Hunter Biden showed up for the day he was supposed to testify, except he showed up outside, not inside the Capitol. Meanwhile, despite or maybe because of all his legal troubles, Donald Trump widened his lead in Iowa with the caucuses now just one month away from today. Is this GOP primary over before it starts? Well, here today to weigh in on all of the above and more, Sabrina Siddiqui, White House reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Hello, Sabrina. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today. Hello, David. Hello, Bill. And Kirk Beto, editor of the National Journal Hotline. Hey, Kirk. More milk, morning, everybody. Happy to be here. All right, good. Thanks to you all. Um, well, it, it's it's hard to to start anywhere other, Sabrina, than with a big impeachment inquiry. I thought the uh, headline in the New York Times yesterday said it all. I've got it here in front of me. Front page: Impeachment inquiry approved despite no proof of Biden crime. Well, I think that pretty much gets to the point. There's just no evidence here linking President Biden to any uh, criminal activity or even uh, abuse of his office. Uh, Obviously, this is dating back in part to his time as vice president, but there is um, and has been no evidence that he used uh, the power of the vice presidency to enrich himself or his family, which is sort of at the center of the Republican Party's allegations here. And I think what's notable is this also comes after um, internal opposition or reluctance from moderate Republicans, those who are in swing districts who are very worried about how this is going to play politically, because there is not um, support within the broader public uh, for uh, impeachment. And not to mention, yes, this might fire up the Republican base. But if you're a moderate Republican and you lo- you're you looking at these polls and you know that the election is driven by issues like the economy, inflation, you don't want to be seen as uh, wasting your time or engaging in, any, in an investigation that uh, will be perceived or could be perceived as politically motivated uh, when you're up for re-election in a close district. Yeah. And so there have been Republican voices who have uh, 
cautioned about the abuse of the impeachment process, for example. Here's uh, one pretty prominent Republican back in 2019. You don't like his political positions? Great. But you can't impeach a president because you don't like him. That's not how this system works. We're in a constitutional republic. There are rules here. There are standards. You don't get to make that decision. The voters in this country do. And we have an election coming up in about 11 months. Let the people decide. Don't put yourselves in their place. You don't have the right to do it. Uh, of course, David Jackson, that was a certain congressman <laughs> from Louisiana. <laughs> yes. Who yes. is now the Speaker of the House. Yes, uh, he had different glasses and different political thoughts back then about <laughs> impeachment. Although I have to say that, uh, you know, there, there are stories and I've heard stories that Johnson kind of felt the same way about this Biden impeachment as recently as a couple of months ago, that he's been very reluctant to pursue this, but uh, he got his mind changed in recent weeks. And I think we all know how and why. And so now they're going forward. And uh, I think as Sabrina said, it might be great for the Republican base, but I don't think independents are going to be too impressed. I was going to say, do you think they recognize that there is some political peril uh, involved in this, David? I think so, too. Uh, I just I, I think and especially I think we're going to see more and more stories about I, I think this is just simply political payback. Trump wants the House Republicans to do this because it makes his impeachment somehow look less serious. I think that's all there is to this. And uh, I don't think that's going to pl- once a lot of this stuff comes out, I don't think it's going to play very well. Again, with independent voters. I mean, the Republicans are fine with it, but mm-hmm. people in the middle, I, I think, are going to be quite skeptical. Uh, again, another Republican voice, a prominent Republican voice, still in the Senate, uh, who doesn't seem to be too excited about it. Kirk, here is uh, the senior senator from Iowa, Chuck Grassley. All I can say is there's some indication of maybe some compromise uh, with China particularly, uh, but I have no evidence of it, and I'm going to just follow the facts where they are, and the facts haven't taken me to that point where I can say that the president's guilty of anything. (laughs) Uh, Doesn't seem very enthusiastic, right? (laughs) And by the way, Kirk, let's point out also, Anything they're talking about as a possibility relates back to when Joe Biden was vice president. Correct. I mean, it's this is as you know, Senator Grassley pointed out, and in, in the only way that he can that there is no there there. And as Sabrina pointed out, at the top here, this is uh, an investigation in search of a justification right now. What really surprised me this week is all those members, like you noted, Bill in those Republican members and districts that President Biden won who voted to start this impeachment inquiry. And I wonder if this is just teeing them up to, you know, if there is a formal impeachment vote to either vote against the party here and say, look, we've done this investigation, we've done this probe, and there isn't anything here. But they took this vote to kind of stave off some challenges from their right right now in the primaries to say, look, we've looked into it and we couldn't find anything here. I just don't understand exactly what they hope to accomplish here. And it seems like from the more adults in the room, I guess, Republican adults in the room in the Senate, they seem to be kind of shaking their head at what's going on in the House, which has been a theme of the 118th Congress. Uh, finally, finally on this, Sabrina, isn't it, isn't there, though, uh, almost an inevitability that if they open an inquiry, they have to proceed to impeach? You think they could start this inquiry? I don't and then see not how Republic- I don't see how Republicans open 
an, in- an inquiry and just leave it at that. Like, okay, well, we investigated yeah. and yeah, right. Uh, there's no vote Didn't... to impeach. I mean, that. I mean, look, if it gets so tense within the party and to comes to a point where they have enough internal um, opposition, then maybe do they try and postpone a vote like this until after the election? I mean, that's always a possibility. But I think that leadership will make the calculation that it, this is something that they want to wrap, you know, that they would want to conclude before the election in a bid to also motivate their own voters to turn out to the polls. Right. I I, I could see there being a split on timing, maybe, of when you mm-hmm. hold the impeachment vote. It, but th- that also depends on how this plays out. But I mean, you don't launch the inquiry and then not proceed to impeach. Um, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, and I do think just wanted to add, you know, that bit, one bit about, you know, the White House that, you know, obviously for them, they, they sort of are responding, at least right now, saying that this is um, in some ways a boost for their camp for, I mean, the Biden campaign has responded by saying it's a boost in fundraising. An email by Vice President Kamala Harris was the top performing of the month where, you know, she cited the impeachment inquiry and, and politically motivated attacks. And the White House is, of course, dismissing this as a distraction and a waste of taxpayer money. But it is also going to take up considerable resources from the from the White House and the Biden campaign. Um, so I think that, you know, I think there is going to be certainly some um, the longer this drags out oxygen that this takes up that the White House and the Biden campaign won't be able to ignore and will have to dedicate resources toward expend resources on, even if at, at its core, as we said, there isn't any evidence uh, to support the allegations at the heart of the inquiry. Uh, I thought it was also interesting that the House, uh, which seems so uh, intent on passing this impeachment and in, in, in starting this impeachment inquiry, then immediately recessed for three weeks. Um, like maybe it's not that high a priority, but before he left town, uh, chairman James Comer, the oversight committee, uh, David, um, he, uh, he, this responsibility now goes to him and to Jim Jordan and Comer's bragging about the work of his committee. Here he is. This has been, I think the most transparent, uh, political, or, or, or congressional investigation since, since I've been in Congress for seven years. Whoa. <laughs> That's where's the where's the proof of that one? Yeah. So, well, he's got more problems than that. I, I don't know if you saw the Associated Press is reporting that it turns out Mr. Comer owns his own shell company. So they're going to be so he's going to be the subject of his own little media investigation in the coming weeks. I I don't think he's done I don't think he's done his cause very much good. Let's put it that way. I just don't think people are convinced that Joe Biden is involved in anything that Hunter Biden did. Uh, there, you know, there's some suggestion now. Hunter's, of course, been indicted in California now, and this is since his plea bargain fell apart. So mm-hmm. there may be some question about the details of that plea bargain. But again, there's no evidence of any White House involvement or involvement by President Biden. There there's, doesn't seem to be a connection bet- between the two. And I know this having covered uh, the vice president many years ago, Hunter Biden kind of was his own person. I think that was a lot of people looked into his activities back then. And there's there just isn't any evidence that uh, that the senior Biden was involved. And in fact, the evidence was that the senior Biden, I think, has been dismayed at his son's behavior. But mm-hmm. uh, he's been pretty much he's always pretty much been sidelined when it comes with regard to it. Uh, I did think it was curious that Comer is that was uh, 
asserting or uh, that they were they been no. so transparent on the very day that he was insisting that Hunter Biden testify behind closed doors. Oh, well, exactly. That's another thing. Yeah. I, that's, that's another thing I just don't get. There's a lot of things I don't get about the way Comer's conducted this, including that he should have accepted Hunter Biden's offer to, te- he should have called Hunter's bluff, I should say, and agreed to let him testify in public. That, that would have been quite an interesting show. And uh, Well, uh, it was still, uh, uh, Kirk, an interesting show when Hunter showed up to the surprise of reporters. Eric Swalwell, congressman from California, had uh, reserved the space outside the Capitol. And it wasn't Eric Swalwell that showed up. It was the president's son with this sort of defiant message. Here he is, Hunter Biden. I'm here today to make sure that the House committee's illegitimate investigations of my family do not proceed on distortions, manipulated evidence, and lies. And I'm here today to acknowledge that I've made mistakes in my life and wasted opportunities and privileges I was afforded. For that, I'm responsible. For that, I'm accountable. And for that, I'm making amends. Uh, how do we see that, Kirk? Is it a pretty bold move or um, a dumb move? <laughs> well, it's 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 interesting that, there, that Hunter is using this right now. And I'd be curious to think, to get a little bit more insight on the White House's thinking about this here. Because Hunter Biden putting himself front and center here right now is a really unique opportunity to kind of let the poke a hole in this balloon here that the Republicans are blowing up right now on the impeachment inquiry. I mean, he has an opportunity here to paint himself as a more sympathetic figure, you know, a guy who has struggled with addiction, someone who's getting re-victimized now by the House Republicans here, and can really kind of be the the tip of the spear for the, the White House against the House Republicans right now. You know, he had that really good quote, I think it was to Axios uh, later in the day about how my mistakes are in spite of my father, not a reflection of him. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if you look at someone in the Biden orbit who can be a very effective messenger about this, it, it has to be him because, you know, the president not is not necessarily getting out there front and center right now. He's not getting out there in the, uh, the Rose Garden or anything like that, giving speeches about this. And they could really turn this uh, uh, impeachment into an opportunity to kind of rally the Democratic base around the president and his family right now, because, you know, frankly, we've seen poll after poll that's shown a lot of red flags and a lot of alarm bells for Biden with a lot of core groups of the Democratic base right now. And we could have a rally around the flag effect here. What is the White House saying, Sabrina, about uh, Hunter? Anything? Well, uh, you know, they don't they tend to not comment on anything relating to Hunter Biden. Um, There is a split within the White House and among uh, President Biden's aides over how to approach this issue. Um, there are White House aides and, and you know, senior Biden aides outside of the White House who uh, would prefer that Hunter Biden continue and lay low, as he as he often has, and, and who don't want this to be, um, you know, further thrust into the spotlight by him making public appearances and and speaking to the press um and they'd rather just ignore it and 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 cast it entirely as as a distraction i think that there has been just some frustration though within hunter biden's team um you know with hunter himself over the fact that that strategy does not enable this story to go away um, or the attention uh, toward him and his his personal life his his relationship 
uh, with his dad to not be politicized anyway. So the idea here, when it, what, you know, at least where Hunter's team has been coming from, is that this gives them an opportunity um, to take this head on and to tell his own story uh, and, and maybe appeal not just to the Democratic base, but to those middle of the road voters who just don't care about this um, as an issue and who also may be more inclined to think that it is wrong um, to make, uh, you know, to turn his struggles with addiction, for example, uh, into some kind of political weapon to we- or mm-hmm. to weaponize his relationship with his father. The fact that Biden has not given up on him is very much because of his struggles with addiction, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so that is, a, I think, a story that they may feel is actually one that more people could empathize with if you talk about it more openly. I mean, he did do that New Yorker profile, and he did the and he had, um, you know, written the memoir, opening up a lot about some of these parts of his story that aren't, um, you know, part of obviously the narrative that, that, that hmm. you've seen politically. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's this, if, if, if it's more about someone's personal life um, and especially if you're getting into the father son relationship and ignoring, uh, you know, something that is so, so key to why president Biden, who's lost two children already has not, um, given up, not forget given up on Hunter, but would rather keep him close, his, one of his only surviving children. Um, you know, I think that is something that I, there's more eagerness to talk about because there's a sense that there would be maybe more empathy with the American electorate, not hard right Republican voters, but the ones whose votes are actually persuadable. Right. A narrative that uh, people could identify with. Meanwhile, before we uh, uh, take a break here, David, uh, big news this week when President Zelensky, at President Biden's invitation, came to Washington, met with the leaders of Congress, and basically walked away uh, empty-handed. Is the United States about to turn its back on Ukraine, do you think? or? Well, the Republicans certainly are do, are doing that. It certainly looks that way. It's, it was interesting. You mentioned Zelensky came to D.C. and the House Republicans adjourned anyway without any action. And yeah. we're to the point now where House Republicans are being praised on Russian TV for blocking aid to the to Ukraine. <laughs> so I, certainly until, you know, the primary start. And even after that, I, I just don't see how it's going to happen. You know, Mike Johnson took enough heat from his right wing over the Defense Authorization Act. It's certainly it's difficult for me to see how he can move on Ukraine aid after that experience. Yeah, Kirk. In fact, as David mentioned, uh, and this is thanks to CNN, a Russian TV praising the Republicans uh, for standing up with Vladimir Putin. Here's a little clip. What's happening in the U.S. is beneficial for us. Ukraine is losing. Russia is winning. This is it. Their funding and weapons came to an end. As of now, well done, Republicans. They're standing firm. That's good for us. Even Mitch McConnell, well done, Gramps. Well done, Gramps, Mitch McConnell. (laughs) Uh, How is this good for the uh, party of Ronald Reagan, Kirk? it, I mean, it, it, I think it, the Republicans are trying to reflect where their base is right now on this. There's, you know, we were writing a little bit about it this week, and I was looking at a Gallup poll that found that 41% of Americans overall say the U.S. is doing uh, too much to help Ukraine. And that's about a, and that's risen up from 24% 
in uh, August of uh, last August in 2022, who said the U.S. is doing too much. And that was fueled mainly by Republicans. Uh, the poll found that 62 percent of Republicans say the U.S. is doing too much, which is up from 43 percent in August of uh, 2022. And so it's a really purely political play here right now. And you see there it's not all Republicans who are taking this more isolationist, you know, more Trumpy American first stance here. You have folks like uh, Mitch McConnell, whose legacy play, at least that's how he's been trying to frame this, is keeping Ukraine free, who are trying to get this bill passed, who are trying to get the Ukrainians Mm -hmm. the resources they need. But I don't know if it's because of, you know, health concerns, his advanced age or something like that, but he just seems to be taking a little bit more of a, a bat seat and not twisting arms like you would normally expect someone to in this position or or he's tried and failed right exactly uh yeah who knows but uh at any rate um but i just throw this question out there uh i appreciate the the polls that you mentioned kirk i just wonder when we started um when the pentagon started uh, being run by public opinion polls i don't think that was always the case but that's just a question that occurs to me. And with that, let's take a quick break here and get back to looking at, back at some of the politics of the day. There was big news today in Iowa. It's just a month away from today. So let's talk about that with our panel when we come back. Sabrina Siddiqui from the Wall Street Journal, David Jackson, USA Today, and Kirk Beto from the National Journal Hotline. And today's roundtable on the Bill Press Pod brought to you by the American Federation of Teachers, or the AFT, under President Randy Weingarten, 1.7 million teachers strong in over 3,000 locals across the country, uh, covering every aspect of education from preschool K through 12 to higher ed, uh, also including a lot of nurses and health professionals as members of the AFT. Uh, you know, none of us would be where we are today without the help of one great teacher or several great teachers. So we salute America's teachers again, thank them for their doing the Lord's work every day in the classroom, and thank them for their longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. <sighs> The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. 
And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. We're back with today's roundtable. Joining us, Kirk Beto, editor of the National Journal Hotline, David Jackson, national political correspondent for USA Today, and Sabrina Siddiqui, White House reporter for the Wall Street Journal. So, Kirk, let's look at Iowa. We saw the latest Des Moines Register poll. Donald Trump at 51, no, 50, yeah, at 51, with Ron DeSantis down at 19 and Nikki Haley 16, with the caucuses again a month away to, from today. And in Michigan yesterday, the latest poll, Donald Trump 63 in the Republican primary and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley trailing way, 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 way back at 13 each. Is it all over, Kirk? Uh, look, we're still a month away. Uh, we're still you know, a yeah, month away but- from Michigan and everything. Uh, you know, plenty of time to uh, cut in here. You know, Ron DeSantis surged from uh, 16% in that Des Moines Register poll in October up to 19% now. So I think the comeback, oh, there you go. Yeah. comeback is definitely on, you know, definitely <laughs> the, the feeling of, you know, Chris Paul hits a huge three to cut the lead to 42 here. Uh, but it, it, you know, Iowa is always a little tricky with how you pull it because of the caucus system and everything. You don't know who's going to show up the day of and everything. You know, Bob Vanderplan's the influential evangelical leader who's endorsed Ron DeSantis had a big interview this morning in the Washington Post where he cautioned everyone that, you know, Iowa, you know, breaks late and everything. But I mean, this is just a really, really tough margin here. I mean, the only one who has consistently gained in these polls is Trump still from the begin this point in the yeah. beginning from the beginning yeah. of the year. I mean, he's slowly consolidated support. And when these other candidates drop out, it's not like they're coalescing around a single challenger. It's not like when, you know, Tim Scott, for example, he had seven percent in Iowa in uh the October poll. And when he dropped out, it's not like his seven percent all went to Nikki Haley. The uh the poll actually found that his you know, again, a tiny 7% was split evenly between Haley, DeSantis, and Trump here right now. So it's not necessarily that, you know, we can, you know, start measuring the drapes for the uh, the Trump <laughs> nomination here, but it's, it's pretty tight. And I think what we're going to see here these next few weeks are more expectation setting from the DeSantis and Haley campaign of trying to define exactly what does a moral victory look like in Iowa? What does a close race look like? here and everything going into New Hampshire. And so I expect to start to see that type of lower expectation setting and handicapping right now. Uh, David, you've been to Iowa, I'm sure, more than the, th- the other three of us here combined. <laughs> uh, what is your take on first on Iowa? And when when would any of the others have a chance? Do they have a chance to, to, to make a, a break? And where and when? Well, that's an awfully good question. I mean, yeah, Kirk mentioned the uh, the caucus impact, and that's the only real hope the challengers have is that uh, Trump won't be able to get his people out to the to the caucuses on time on January fifteenth. But it's a tough. The way I look at it is, uh, you can't say Trump's got it in the bag, but you can say that if he loses this nomination, it will be an historic comeback for somebody. Um, and another <laughs> thing to think about is that the Trump is as quiet as it's kept. The Trump campaign this time is much better and much more well organized than it was in 2016. That's what I've seen. Yeah. A lot of people on the ground. They're doing a lot of work, which tells me that they will be able to produce uh, 
member, uh, voters of the caucus, including a lot of first time voters. Uh, and uh, I think the DeSantis people will say, well, we have the ground game to, to make up the difference in Iowa. That's certainly going to be tested. And if if Trump does triumph in Iowa, then we go to the New Hampshire. And I think that's maybe where his most biggest vulnerability is right now, is that Haley does appear to have some momentum in New Hampshire. Uh, she has the endorsement of uh, Governor Chris Sununu. And more importantly, she has the uh, the machine of Chris Sununu, the Republican, I think a, uh, significant segments of the Republican establishment in New Hampshire, I think will be working for Haley. So I guess she has a shot to close the margin and make that a competitive race in New Hampshire. But if she doesn't, I don't see how she survives either. Yeah. What is your read, Sabrina? I mean, it, we hear so much about Nikki Haley picking up support. You know, she got the Koch brothers endorsement or the Koch, that operation. She, now she's got the uh, Governor Sununu, the Sununu machine. She keep, it seems to me she keeps getting these big endorsements, but s- still going nowhere. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Marco Rubio was having a moment and <laughs> Lewis was having a moment. And, you know, this is the problem, though, right? I mean, we saw this, this movie in 2016, which, you know, I covered the Republican primaries then. And the problem was that for a viable alternative to emerge, the field has to consolidate behind one single alternative. And that's still just raising the the possibility of there being an alternative trump's lead is so commanding it may not even be enough if everyone were to back out and um you know rally behind someone like nikki haley it still may not be enough to overcome trump but that's the best shot that anyone would have is not to have so many candidates splitting the non-trump vote even if one of them is you know in fact whoever seems to have a more um formidable lead compared to the rest would with whether it's Nikki Haley or someone else in the coming weeks emerges would be would be the one to kind of get behind um but that's a lesson they haven't learned and I would actually argue Trump's even stronger it goes without saying he is stronger than he was uh you know eight years ago um because now he's no longer it's no longer an unknown or a hypothetical Mm -hmm. yeah people are either with Trump or they're not so You know, if you have, so I, I think that that's, you know, in some ways you saw that happen in the 2020 Democratic primaries um, where you did see the field consolidate behind President Biden, then candidate Biden. Um, if not, it was very possible that Senator Sanders would have actually ran away with the nomination. But there was that point in the race where Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren and Amy right. Klobuchar, mm-hmm. you know, everyone sort of dropped out and endorsed Biden uh, because that was the, only uh, that that was you know the more likely way um <clears throat> to prevent you know a nominee that pre- the establishment in that case was not comfortable with um so so this is this is sort of where we are now but i think what we've seen in these republican um primaries are often you know they are very contentious they are very ugly you're seeing that play out right now um i don't see it happening but i that my read is that the only way for nikki haley or I mean, I think Ron DeSantis is, is done, but or Ron DeSantis or Vivek Ramaswamy or who, anyone to actually uh, be a formidable alternative is for there to be only one non-Trump alternative. Yeah. Um, so, Kirk, it does seem that Donald Trump's statement, I'll only be a dictator on day one, <laughs> doesn't matter, right? I mean, <laughs> well, it's, not with a base, for it, sure. It's so interesting because, like, listening, it's so much different reading the transcript of that exchange with Hannity and then watching the video of it. And it, 
comes out, you know, we talked about flash bets to 16. I was getting major flash bets of the, do we take Trump seriously or literally, literally uh, debate over what he was saying on the campaign trail again. And it doesn't seem to be making an impact right now. I mean, Chris Christie, who we didn't bring up as one of those potential Trump alternatives here, has kind of positioned his whole campaign as being the guy to call out the emperor for not wearing clothes right now. And that has fueled him to what maybe a third place finish in New Hampshire, the friendliest environment for that message right now. And it is shocking how the other, I guess it shouldn't be shocking, the other lead contenders, whether it's DeSantis or Haley, are kind of not talking about the heart of the matter here with Trump statements like that. I mean, the best we get from Nikki Haley is something like, you know, I wouldn't have phrased it like that or something to that effect. And yeah. so it's, and Christie's on the debate stage going, no, we have to take this seriously. We have to do this. And he gets booed up there. I mean, it's just a, a real comment on where the Republican electorate is right now, that that type of messaging, that type of, you know, saying the quiet part aloud, I guess, is met with booze from the people who are trying who from voters and everything. Right. Uh, so just a segueing a little bit away from uh, the 2024 race to uh, back to one of the big legal issues that's been in the news this week. Um, Rudy Giuliani in court in Washington, D.C., a federal court, um, uh, responding to a lawsuit filed against him by two election workers in Georgia. He showed up at the courthouse, um, not showing David uh, much uh, regret for his comments. Here's uh, the former mayor. Whatever happened to them, which is it's unfortunate if other people overreacted, but everything I said about them is true. Do you regret no. what you did to Ruby Of course Sanders? I don't regret. I told the truth. They, they were engaged in changing votes. There's no proof of that. Oh, you're damn right there is. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yes. <laughs> uh, it looks like Rudy could be in a little trouble here, David. Oh, to say the least. Yeah, I love that stay tuned. I mean, I've been, we've been hearing that since election night of 2020, that the, the, all the evidence was going to emerge about what has happened. Well, it's, I believe it was Rudy Giuliani. I'm uncertain his Confederates who accused one of those women in Georgia of passing a, heart, a thumb drive to her daughter to try to fix the results. Well, it turned out to be a breath mint. Yeah. So yeah. What, 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 he, what he has said about them is not true, and I think he's going to pay a very big price for it. I also note that the, while he was talking to reporters outside the courthouse, he decided not to testify during the trial itself, which right. I found interesting right. because I'm sure he didn't want to get you know, hit with a perjury beef on top of everything else. But it's a, it's a sad situation. I mean, I've, uh, uh, I've known, you know, I've dealt with the mayor for, you know, almost 30 years now. And it's, it's the deterioration has just been sad and he's, uh, he's going to be in for a lot of trouble. Uh, and those two women suffered a lot of abuse oh, God, and a lot yes. of attacks because I mean, of life, what yeah, threatened their lives. And they're going to have, they have a very strong case, I think. And they have a very strong case for, uh, a lot of damages, financial damages. Right. So um, I'd like to wrap with a question that uh, uh, all of us here privately, but maybe none of us have uh, talked about publicly, but uh, let's go for it. And that is, uh, I keep hearing from Democrats that, that there's a possibility that Joe Biden's going down to for his holiday break in the Virgin Islands, and he and the family are going to talk about it again, that he just might decide he's done his job and it's time to step down and uh, and let somebody else younger 
pick up the torch. Now, Sabrina, you're going to be on pool duty <laughs> over oh the Christmas holidays. Oh, you're I'd saying like... I should stake out his family house and see what yeah. I can do. Yeah, well, I'd like each of you to speculate on whether there's any <laughs> chance in hell that that could happen. And not whether we think it should or should not happen, but whether there's a possibility it could happen. Sabrina, you go first. Oh, boy. I don't, I don't see it happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got out of prediction business in 2016. <laughs> Didn't we all? Event, right. But, but I, I mean, I, I mean, they're adamant that that's just not that he will run for re-election. Um, he believes firmly he's the only one who can beat Trump because he has before. I would argue, obviously, the circumstances have changed four years later. Um, um, so I think it's more of a toss-up than they might realize. They always are they're pretty bullish at the polls or the polls, and they're often wrong. But I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot for them to think about. I, I'm still, it's still hard okay. for me to imagine because right. there, you know that there would be an open Democratic primary. It wouldn't just be oh. for vice president. Oh, yeah. Right. So sure. do they want that level of messiness also this late in the game? I, I feel like he is going to go through with it and just run for re-election at this point. But Okay. All right. So that's, a, that's one uh, vote not going to happen. David Jackson. Yeah, I don't see it happening either. Um, I'm just going to go with what I've heard from those folks. I'm going back a few months here, but... Uh, one of the one of Biden's motivations is mad at us. You know, he's mad at all the people who think he's too old and can't do the job, and he's going to show us. So that's one of the things that's motivating him to run. I I, yeah. I, I agree with that. I mean, the only way I never say never. I mean, but if he decides to pull out, I can't help but think he would only do it in order to to bolster uh, Kamala Harris for the vice for the presidential nomination because mm-hmm. I don't if for some reason Biden did pull out or was otherwise incapacitated. I don't think there'd be a, a, a tremendous battle for that nomination I, I think kamala harris is the heir apparent and i think that's what would happen uh-huh okay what's your read kirk um that's two votes that it's not going to happen uh i i would similarly be very surprised because you know you know biden has talked a lot about you know he's told donors this and walked it bad that you know if trump wasn't running i don't know if i would be running then you know yeah. when he was asked yeah. about asked to follow up about that after he got back to the white house he's like, oh, you know no i know i'd be i would be running and everything and i just don't see a world where he does this i know that people like to point out that lyndon johnson waited until i think right. it was like the end of march in uh 68 was it to say hey i'm not running for re-election well we've come a long way from campaigning that it was in 1968 this is a full year effort and everything and you've already seen the democratic campaign machine get cranking and everything on ads on organizing on getting you know everyone rowing in the same direction to get biden re-elected again so i I would be shocked if this happens down there, but you know, Sabrina, I know you you told us that you're on pool duty down there. I hope it, it has plenty of like actual pool duty down in the Virgin Islands as well. But I hope you're able to uh, get that story out there if uh, he does make a decision. Of course, no I pressure. Guess, I guess I should point out that Cornell West yesterday did predict that Biden would step down, but I think I think that's wishful thinking on the part of Cornell West. All right. Just a little bit. All right. Well, what a great panel. What a great uh, insights into the news of the week. A big thank you uh, to all three of you, um, David Jackson, Sabrina Siddiqui, and Kirk Beto. Now, before you run away for your holidays, uh, let's look back this week and what was the one story this week that caught your attention particularly uh, more than uh, any of the others you were reporting on or reading about? Um, uh, David, can you start us off your favorite story? <laughs> I don't know. There are, are there any favorite stories anymore? Um, you know, I guess I'll say the stories about the, the I referenced it earlier, the passage of the Defense Act and uh, you know, Mike Johnson's role in yeah. 
And uh, he was uh, he was attacked by that from his right wing, believe it or not. A lot of some Trump supporters, because they, apparently they don't like some of the tr- uh, uh, tr- transsexual issues that are in the defense bill. Uh, but uh, there were suggestions that he's not MAGA enough. There were even suggestions that he's too liberal. And all it tells me is that there, there's no one who will ever be conservative enough or MAGA enough for some of these folks who yeah, are yeah. driving things that could never pass Congress could never get past the White House and could never get past the courts. And I can't help but think that we're headed toward a, uh, you know, at some point that that's going to bust and we're going to, the, the government's going to basically break down because of the insistence from these conservatives to get things right. that just can't possibly happen. Yeah, it was in effect almost the same deal that Kevin McCarthy had worked out before right. he was ousted, right? So, but basically, the idea that Mike Johnson isn't conservative enough or isn't MAGA enough, and it's just it's just laughable. But the fact is that under the present circumstances, no one could no right. one could fulfill that bill. How about you, Kirk? What uh, really caught your attention this week? No, I can't believe we've been podcasting for so long, and th- we haven't talked about the most political Uh-oh. issue here already. The uh, wizards and capitals moving across oh, the river. Oh my God! Over, yeah. Thought about that one over to uh, Potomac Yards, and you know, there's been a, a a lot of coverage on this in this made up uh, section of town that they're making over in Alexandria. But I think the favorite thing I read about all this and the big announcement on Wednesday was from uh, David Aldrich over at the Athletic. He's a senior correspondent over there. You know, longtime sideline reporter, DC fan, and everything. Uh, and he really just kind of took uh, the Wizards' ownership to task for moving them across the river and everything. And it was a really, really good piece about just kind of the empty, just real cronyism going on here with this deal and how it's such a big loss for the city, that they're moving out from the heart of downtown, what it means to that district that's been suffering for so long, to this, you know, Hot in the sky place over in Virginia right now, and I really, really enjoyed that column. Uh, yeah, let me just say I've I've been to Potomac Yards many times. No, I'd much rather go to Penn Quarter in downtown DC. I mean, it's just uh, outrageous. That whole, for me, the whole issue of uh, owners of teams across the country, every city has had this same problem, right? Where the owners just hold the city hostage until they get what they want or move out. So it, it, exactly, and you know. Uh, you, know, you and yeah. I both live in Capitol Hill, Bill, but you know, when someone moves across the river there, it's like they cease to exist. And so I'm worried about what's going to happen to the, <laughs> some of the attendance over in those games and everything. I think there's Who a political aspect. Excuse me. I, I think there's a political aspect to this as well. Governor Glenn Youngkin of Virginia really pushed this deal, oh, even yeah. though he's term limited. And it was the actions of a, of a politician who has uh, bigger things on his mind. Exactly. That's and Supreme... Point. Sabrina, hi, Sabrina. <laughs> Not weighing in on the Wizards. What's your what caught your attention this week, Sabrina? Well, I do have to mention that uh, Vladimir Putin was asked about the detention of my Wall Street Journal oh, colleague, yes. Evan Gershkovich, um, and credit to uh, Valerie Hopkins, the foreign correspondent um, in Russia for the New York Times, who was so brave to ask about Evan. Um, and Paul Whelan, another American who has been uh, deemed wrongfully detained by the State Department. And Putin said that, you know, these are tough uh, negotiations, but he said he hopes to find some kind of an agreement uh, to bring uh, Evan home. But, you know, obviously, I just want to reiterate that, you know, journalism is not a crime. And the Wall Street Journal, um, you know, Evan and the U.S. government, uh, we everyone vehemently denies that allegation of espionage under which he's being held. But, you know, it's important to note that last Monday, um, 
December 4th or marked um, 250 days since he was arrested. Oh, whoa. Wrongfully detained. Uh, So we're just really hoping that he comes home sometime soon. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, Thanks for reminding us of that, Sabrina. And uh, Putin's comments were kind of hmm, disturbing, I thought, because, you know, enough talk, Vladimir. Let's see some action here, right? Just let him go. Uh, All right. For my favorite story of the week, um, producer Jay, hit it here. Ah. There it is. (laughs) Yep, for the second year in a row. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree is rated by Billboard as the most popular Christmas song of all time. 65 years after its release, it is topping the charts. That's incredible. As is the fact that Brenda Lee, who is now 79, is still belting it out. Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. I just love that story. You know, well, um, the way I see it with... Uh, climate change, we can no longer sing I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas Tree. <laughs> <laughs> so we might as well rock around the Christmas tree. And I hope, I hope you all rock around the Christmas tree this holiday. Sabrina Siddiqui from the Wall Street Journal, David Jackson, again, USA Today, Kurt Beto from the National Journal. Thank you, panelists. Thank you, producer Jay Feldman. And thanks to all of you, good friends, for joining us for today's roundtable. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday uh, taking a look at the whole legal system today, uh, what's happening at the Supreme Court, what's happening at the Department of Justice with Dahlia Lithwick from Slate Magazine. She's been covering the Supreme Court for decades. Uh, Dahlia joins us on Tuesday. So have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the holidays. Come back and see us Tuesday for the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.